What's up? It's Kaylee Cuoco. When it comes to travel, we all have a happy place. I just went to my happy place. I just went to Maui, and it was truly amazing. Priceline has always been about getting you to your happy place for a happy price with deals you really can't find anywhere else, like up to 60% off select hotels in Costa Rica or five-star hotels for two-star prices in Cabo. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Welcome back to the final four. It's not on the schedule. He is Rob. I am Kane. Michigan State wins this one, uh, 69-62 against uh, Wisconsin. And Rod, kind of a slow start, uh, but. Joey Hauser gets going a little bit. Uh, Tyson Walker gets going. Marcus Bingham was outstanding, um, and they come away with a win out of this one. What, what's uh, what's your take on it? I think it's the most impressive win of the year, and not the prettiest win, but the most impressive one. And and here's why I say that: if I if I had told you before the game Michigan State would shoot one for eleven from three. What kind of odds would you have given me that Michigan State would win the game? Virtually no chance, 9%. right? And I, right? Oh, that that would be generous. Um, <laughs> you know, we've talked about it. It's, it's the one thing this team could hang its hat on is that they've been an outstanding three point shooting team. They came into this game sixth in the country mm-hmm. in three point percentage, and so when you come into a game like this against a good opponent, and I don't think Wisconsin's a great team. I've been a seller on them all year. Um, to my own detriment, because they somehow managed to get a share of a Big Ten title. But yeah. um, nevertheless, a good team. I would I would certainly acknowledge that. You play against that caliber of opponent and shoot that way, given the way the season has gone for Michigan State and the way they've played in other phases of the game, uh, I would not have liked Michigan State's odds very much. But they did win the game, and they won it in old-school Michigan State, old-school Tom Izzo fashion. Meaning, they defended their asses off, and especially as the game wore on, they rebounded well. Mm -hmm. Um, Wisconsin did have double them up in offensive rebounds, 10 to 5. Not a huge surprise MSU didn't get a lot done on the offensive boards because Wisconsin is a pretty good defensive rebounding team. But at the other end, Wisconsin's a terrible offensive rebounding team. And yet, once again, early on in this one, Michigan State was having a hell of a time keeping them off the offensive boards. But as the game wore on, it got better. Wisconsin ended up with only a 26.3% offensive rebounding rate. That's a that's in the decent to good area in terms of the job Michigan State did. So you put that together with the way they defended, and you get, as I say, an old school win. This is a very physical game. Uh, both teams, I thought, played with a lot of effort, a lot of energy, especially in the first half. Not always the kind of shot-making skill <laughs> you'd like to see. But um, nevertheless, it was it was just impressive from that vantage point. Michigan State won a, a game against a good opponent in a way that I didn't think they could. Mm-hmm. And if, and it's a gigantic, gigantic if, but if they could sustain the things that they did in this game 
the effort level and energy level, at least. I don't think the game plan will necessarily be exactly like this one, which I'll get into in a second. But if they could sustain that, the defensive execution of a game plan, the energy, the effort, the toughness, who knows what they could do? Because they are going to shoot better than one from 11 from three. Mm-hmm. <laughs> The rest yeah. of the way, I'm, I'm going to guess we don't see that again, however much longer this season goes. Minimum of two more games, um, hopefully more than that. But if they can do those things and marry that to their normal shooting, um, that's a big deal. I'd, I'd mm-hmm. say another key, too, again, despite a rash of early mistakes, Michigan State ends the game against all odds, dead even with Wisconsin in turnovers, a season low seven from Michigan <laughs> State. That's a big deal. Yeah. In a game that was this tight, you know, possession here, possession there, and you knew coming in, hey, Wisconsin's as good as anyone in the country in minimizing their mistakes. Mm-hmm. You know, the old cliche, which is true with them, is they don't beat themselves. Mm-hmm. They will force you to make enough plays to beat them because they're not going to kick the ball away. Well, Michigan State didn't kick the ball away either. And so given that the game was played on that kind of even platform, they got the better of it. Yeah. I think it's worth talking about with the defensive effort too. Um, two things. Obviously, the, the first thing that everybody's going to key on is the job they did on Johnny Davis. Johnny Davis, Big Ten Player of the Year, a guy who's in the conversation for National Player of the Year as well, uh, held the three for 19 on the floor. <laughs> An outstanding job. Number of guys participated in it. Max Christie got a lot of the time on him and did a fantastic job mm-hmm. checking him. AJ Hogard took his turns on him and did a great job using his strength and his physicality. Um, Jaden Akins took some turns on him. Gabe Brown saw him, especially in some switches. All of those guys contributed to just making life extremely difficult on Johnny Davis. So, and if you remember the game at Breslin which Wisconsin won, Johnny Davis just killed Michigan State. Yeah. After they'd done a pretty decent job on him in Madison, a very decent job, actually. So this makes it two out of three meetings Michigan State won, and not a coincidence, the same two games were games in which they did a very good job checking Johnny Davis. Yeah. And, and again, my feeling has been, and I've said this numerous times on this podcast, my belief is Wisconsin without Johnny Davis is an NIT team. That's it. I don't think they've got enough around him to withstand very limited performances. You know, they lost to Nebraska when he missed the entirety of the second half, right? Mm -hmm. In the season finale. Today, Michigan State guards the shit out of him and keep him. I think he finished in in single single digits. I got to look. Probably if he only made three shots. Well, he only made three from the field. I'm looking up what what he got here. So, no, he got 11 points because he was five for six at the line. That's what I thought maybe he eased in there. He did have 11 <laughs> rebounds, and so that's that's the thing. 11 rebounds, three assists, but he also had three turnovers. Uh, so I don't want to hear anything about, oh, his ankle, blah, blah, blah. He looked right. plenty healthy to me. And if he was banged up and not at 100%, maybe he shouldn't have been taking 19 shots, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Healthy uh, enough to only- get 11 rebounds. Right, exactly, exactly. So I'm not buying that. That's that's this was legitimate. Michigan State did as good a job defensively on him as anyone has done all year. Mm-hmm. Period. Full stop. And that was a huge part of this. 
But the other thing that was very interesting, I thought, from a strategic point of view, I can never remember a game in the entirety of Tom Izzo's coaching tenure, like ever, where Michigan State doubled as regularly and in all circumstances as they did in this game. Mm -hmm. Now, a handful of times, and I probably can count them on one hand uh, (laughs) over his career, there have been occasions where another team might have one guy who is just so effective down low that he's opted to send doubles. Mm -hmm. But this wasn't just one guy. This was everybody for Wisconsin who touched the ball on the post. They brought doubles. And you know what it did? It, it served to really limit how much Wisconsin got done on the blocks. Now, if you remember the game at Breslin, Tyler Wall was a problem yeah, for Michigan was. State. Well, he wasn't a big problem in this game. He ended up with eight points, but he only took four shots from the floor. Now, they did, you know, they did have 28 points in the paint, but Michigan State had 34. That has not been a common occurrence the last couple of years, really. For Michigan State to outscore opponents in the paint and to do that in this game, well, that too has a lot to do with offsetting um, the the horrible three-point shooting by MSU and enabling them to get a win that they had an advantage around the rim. Um, just getting to the doubles uh, a little bit a little bit more, um, I, I think that there's no way that Greg Gard could have expected to see that. (laughs) And that's not something that Tom is, you know, Tom Izzo is not a, let me spring a surprise on you kind of coach. Right. He's not not what he's ever done. That's, that's why he doesn't tend to, to believe in doubling or trapping or pressing because his general MO, as I understand it is we're going to play you solidly and straight up. And we're going to rely on that because we can count on that. That way we're not put in odd man situations. We're not giving up a bunch mm-hmm. of open shots because a team beat a trap, you know? And and I think in general that's a sound approach. It's God knows it's paid huge dividends over the year, you know? Mm-hmm. But but one thing about this team that is worth keeping in mind, and I wonder I, I tend to think this combination of what Wisconsin is fed into this. Um this Michigan state team has had more problems than they normally do guarding guys straight up in the post. I mean, I can, I can cite several games, you know, Dickinson in Ann Arbor, yeah, just slaughter, him. uh, Coburn in East Lansing really beat him up. Uh, Edie, even in Michigan state's win against Purdue, Zach Edie scored, I think 25. Mm-hmm. Um, they've had several games where they, even like, uh, John Hara, you know, they, they've had games like that where they just haven't been able to deal with guys very well straight up in the post. And it's because they don't have a complete defensive center. Marcus Bingham at times is able to do a nice job because of his length, but at times he can get bold under the hoop mm-hmm. because he's still not the strongest guy in the world. Julius Marvel may be a little bit better in terms of strength, but he lacks length. And so sometimes and awareness sometimes you know, Mati Sissoko is Mati Sissoko at this point, not a yeah. reliable player. So they don't have that one guy. Like, I, you don't have to go back that far. You can go back to the 2020 season. I recall, you know, Luca Garza had started to explode as a scorer during his junior year that season. And Xavier Tillman stole his soul. 
<laughs> he just absolutely wrapped him up. You know, and he did that to a lot of people that same season. Marcus Bingham did that to Kofi Coburn yeah. in his freshman year. He did. Shut him yeah. down. So Michigan State has had that in the past. They can't rely on it this year the way they have, and they've paid for it at times. Mm-hmm. So I, I think part of it was probably that. And part of it was he may have, I'm guessing here, but he may have figured this Wisconsin team, as I mentioned, does not shoot the three very well. Yeah. And so you're taking a gamble, you're taking a risk, but I think probably the calculation was we can't let wall and, and, you know, Wisconsin also inverts their guards a lot. You know, Davison does that. Davis can score in the post. They got a lot of guys who do that. Yeah. Um, we can't let them just feast on us on the blocks and in the paint. Uh, we'll live with them getting some open looks, mm. you know? And I think although Wisconsin had a hell of a second half, three point shooting performance, they're 41%. And you know, everybody who watched it knows Chucky Hepburn decided to warm up late and kind of made <laughs> it, you know, made it interesting, kept mm-hmm. it interesting just at points where it looked like Michigan state was ready to ice it he hit a three. Yeah. Uh, but I still think overall, you have to say that the gamble worked. And that is again, a very unusual thing that the, the toughness and the effort and the energy and all of the, and the execution of a game plan, all that stuff. This was vintage Tom as vintage Michigan state, but the particular strategy they employed was highly unusual. Mm-hmm. And I think it's at least worth keeping in mind that they did it. Because now you've got, we'll get to this eventually here, but now you yeah. got Purdue tomorrow in semifinals. You know, they've played Purdue over the years in a pretty consistent way, including in the game at Breslin not that long ago. Yeah. Uh, just a couple of weeks back. But now, if you're Matt Painter, I think you've got this in the back of your mind all of a sudden. And, and you don't have much time to really <laughs> think about it or prepare for it too much. Now, it wouldn't be that big a deal in the sense that Purdue typically sees doubling. Most teams try to double them, mm-hmm. you know. So it wouldn't be anything they haven't seen before, but it would be something very unusual for Michigan State. And so if you're Purdue, there's now this, I would think, at least a little bit of a hint of uncertainty. Yeah. For the record, and a spoiler alert, I do not think you're going to see Michigan State double this way tomorrow. I certainly mm-hmm. hope they don't. But if you're Matt Painter, you have to wonder about it. Just something, yeah. And they just snuck out of this um, game against Penn State. It wound yeah. up being 69-61, but it was closer than that. Oh, <laughs> Penn State pushed them. They Absolutely. were lucky to get out of that game. Absolutely. And and really, essentially, I think they won it because they have Jaden Ivey, which has been yeah. the difference in a lot of games for Purdue this year. But we'll get to them when we're done breaking mm-hmm. this down. But I, I just mentioned that because coming out of this game, that is another added knock on feature of this is that now Purdue maybe has something a little bit at least to worry about that w- they wouldn't normally have because Michigan State threw that curveball. Yeah. And just a shout out to Micah Shrewsbury. Uh their season's over. He did a great job this year. Uh, he sure did. I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm reminded in some ways they're not the same necessarily the same style, but um, there are some similarities between that job and the Rutgers job. They're both very difficult jobs. Yeah, there's no real winning tradition, and you know, Steve Peichel lost today. But let's not forget, he finished fourth in the league, which I believe is the highest they've ever finished in the big 10. Yeah. Um, 
they're likely going to go to the NCAA tournament, it appears, which I did not think they had a snowball's chance in hell of doing three weeks ago. Uh, but they've done it. And he just got rewarded with another extension that I think is due to keep him there until the 29-30 season. Mm. Um, Steve Peichel was a guy, you know, I, I'm going to pat myself on the back a little bit with this one. Yep. When he got hired his first year, watching what he was doing, my conclusion was they, they got the right guy. He built a program at Stony Brook, which was also, you know, that's what you're going to have to do at Rutgers. You're not coming in with any foundation at all. Yeah. You got to build it as if you're an expansion team almost, but I could see what he was doing. And I thought, you know, this is something that you can hang your hat on their, their style of play, the emphasis on defense and rebounding and toughness. And, and you can build, you, you can play that way. And if you can teach it the way it looked like he was teaching it, you can do that effectively without guys who are top 100 players. And that's exactly what he did. And then as his talent level improved over the course of his time, he's in his sixth year now, and they've made their second straight NCAA tournament, which is the first time they've done that since the 70s. They would be working on three straight if the 20 season hadn't been canceled because they were going to make it. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, it's pretty remarkable. And I wonder about Micah Shrewsbury. The the thing you have to really like is – the way that team competed again, it's not the same style that Pykele coached, but there are some similarities. I think Shrewsbury, we've talked about him, you know, he's a Matt painter and Brad Stevens disciple. I think he wants to play good defensive basketball. He's not probably going to be a coach. that looks to run a lot in transition. They're going to try to be solid. They're going to try to limit mistakes. You know, all the things that those two coaches have typically done. Um, what I don't know yet is, recruiting apparently they've got a good recruiting class coming in this year but you know their team this season was really kind of cobbled together with some fifth year guys and transfers they were very experienced Mm -hmm. so a lot of those guys are going to be gone so we'll see how it sustains but i do think i I agree with you i think he did a hell of a job they had seven wins in the regular season then they won two games in the big 10 tournament before pushing purdue to the limit in the third um that's that's a really good start for what was not an easy situation to walk into. Yeah. And so now we'll see what he can do in terms of recruiting. And as Pykele did the, you know, the advantage in one of those kind of jobs is nobody's expecting miracles. Penn state let Pat chambers have miles of rope. Yeah. <laughs> or they yeah. fired him. And it really wasn't a firing about wins and losses. It was about other stuff mm. in the end. Right. Yeah. Um, so he's going to have some time like Steve Peichel did. And I think if he's patient and he gradually improves the talent base, but they continue to keep some of these core values together. Who knows? Penn State could become an interesting program. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm with you on that. But anyway, so, back back yeah, to this one. Back to the players. And we won't get crazy with the stats here or whatever. But how'd the quarterbacks do? Great. I, I thought. I thought that, um, you know, look, Tyson Walker late once again, which he started to make a habit of. And, and the thing you're left, or at least I'm left thinking about is, God, you can do this earlier. <laughs> you don't have to wait <laughs> until winning time. Look, the, the the shooting numbers were not tremendously flashy. He was three for nine from the floor, 0 for two from three. Yeah. But he hit two big buckets late. He had... Um, he had a uh, a jumper, 
off pick and roll, mm-hmm. which was was very important. And then he had, I think, maybe the play of the game, which I believe pushed the lead out to six, where he drove, pivoted, and I think it was Wall who was guarding him on a switch. Uh-huh. And Wall just went flying. It reminded me a lot of that move that A.J. Hogard made in the lane against Michigan, mm-hmm. where you saw Dickinson and somebody else go flying, and A.J. ended up with an, with an open shot from five feet. That's exactly what Tyson did mm-hmm. on that play. But he was under control, and we've seen him do this a lot lately, where in late-game situations, you know, he won the Purdue game. He made big plays against Maryland, um, made big plays in this one. I think the other thing you like about him is seven assists, zero turnovers. That yep. those are nice numbers. And yep. he was and he was five for seven at the line and hit some big free throws late to ice it mm-hmm. when the game was still in doubt. So hats off to him. And then AJ Hogard, twenty one minutes, which was good to see. Three for six from the floor, two for two at the line. So he had eight points, uh four rebounds, four assists, one turnover. Also had a block and a steal. And as I said earlier, I think he did a nice job pitching in defensively at times against Davis. Mm -hmm. You know, something we've seen him do. He did a lot of it against Jaden Ivey. And hopefully we'll see him do more of it against Jaden Ivey tomorrow. Um, But we've seen him guard. That's that's the nice thing about A.J. Hogard is you don't worry about him getting switched onto a physical, you know, three. Right. Yeah. Because he's got the size and the strength to guard those guys. And he's surprised where he surprised me is his ability to move his feet as he's gotten in better shape. He's agile enough to be. I I think you have to say this is a guy who could develop into a really, really good defensive player. I think he's pretty decent now. The only reason I don't say he's he's really good yet is I think he's still prone to the kind of mistakes occasionally that young players will make where he'll fog out. But for the majority of the time, A.J. Hogard's a plus defender. Mm-hmm. So, I yeah. And, and listen, I think as a preview for next season, you know, assuming everybody's back, you got him, you got Tyson Walker, who's a very good defensive player, obviously. Jaden Akins, who I think is going to be tremendous defensively. Max Christie who is tremendous defensively and you're adding Trey Holloman, who one of the real strengths in his game is defense. That could be a really, really good perimeter defensive group next season. But anyway, Mm -hmm. um, so I think you have to be, you have to be extremely happy. I mean, 11 assists, one turnover, Um, you know, the two guys combined score 19 points. Yeah. You got to be happy. (laughs) You have to be. You look at the starting wings, not a ton of production. Um, you know, only 12 and, and six yeah. rebounds between them. Yeah, but but the defensive job that they did. Yeah. And again, Max Christie clutch down the stretch, four for four at the line. Big free throws. Um, that's that's important. And, and I can't say enough about the defensive job. Uh, particularly that Max did. Mm-hmm. I, I just I think this is probably the best defensive game of his young career, 
And that's saying something because he's had some very, very good defensive performances this year, yeah. but I don't think any better than what he, so they, you know, he's now had two really good games in this tournament. You know, the Maryland game, he was pretty good defensively and he was obviously really good on offense. This game, not as much offensive production, but man, did he lock up. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then at the five, Marcus yeah. Bingham, 19 and 11, uh, Three be, best of game, Holy best moly. game of his best game of his career. When yep. you when you take the circumstance, the opponent, and his performance all together, I think this was his fourth double double of his career. But he never had one as impactful as this. He tied his career high in scoring, nineteen points, and you saw how effective he was on the lobs that he got. He had yep. that transition leak out, which probably should have been called a walk but we'll take it that ended up in a dunk and and five for seven at the line too yeah yeah um 11 boards that's huge absolutely huge and and his offensive rebounding in the second half was a big part of that he had a couple of plays where he turned offensive rebounds into points mm-hmm. um and three blocks yep. and a steal so yeah i mean him and then you look at and it was more the first half than the second but once again julius marble three for three from the floor two for two at the line for eight points had four rebounds you know did his part mm-hmm. um this game was a little more on it wasn't like the maryland game where they went small they didn't have to go small against wisconsin and so Marcus could play more. So Marcus played 22 minutes. Julius only played 17. Yeah. But those two guys combined, what, 27 points and 15 boards? Yeah, they killed that's, it. Uh, they killed it. That's, yeah, that's as much as you could ask for. And it helps mitigate the fact that, you know, they didn't get as much scoring from the wings as we normally see. Mm-hmm. Uh, and at the four, uh, you know, not a whole lot. Hauser's kind of – rounding into like Mr. Reliable here, nine and four. Um, he did his thing. Yeah. He did his thing. He had, he had a, a quick run in the second half where he hit that three, the only one Michigan state got all day. And then he had a really nice play. God, was it off an inbound where he, he just curled on the baseline and just no hesitation went right up and, and hit the long two. Um, but I, I liked the way that Joey, you know, I, I've liked the way Joey's been playing for weeks, mm-hmm. you know, it's nothing new, but yeah, you know, nine points, four boards and, you know, did his job defensively. Yeah. You know, he was part of that yeah. group that was employing the doubling in the post and he didn't get burned with it much. So yeah, hats off to him. I think Malik didn't. You know, it's it's been a little bit of a struggle here. Two points, lately. five boards. Yeah, yeah. The rebounding's nice. Uh, just couldn't get his shot to fall. He was zero for three from three, and they were all good looks. They just didn't fall. Um, but you know, he's going to have better days. Obviously, yeah. uh, this just wasn't a yeah for whatever reason. You know, this just wasn't a game that Michigan State really needed to get him going offensively they were getting it from other, like Bainham for example they were getting it in other places mm-hmm. uh, but really really balanced scoring when you look at Michigan State scoring you know 19 for Marcus and then you go Tyson Walker 11 Hauser 9 Christie 8 Hogart 8 Marble 8 and then you go to Gabe with four and Malik with two 
that's that is kind of what Michigan State has been this year. Um, you know, you you might in any given game it could be one guy who sort of leads the way, and then a lot of other guys kind of filing in and giving you enough production mm. to win with, and that's that's what they got. But pretty remarkable balance behind Markey. Yep. And uh, Jaden Akins, seventeen minutes, uh, nothing in the scoring column, but three rebounds. Yeah, and and he checked, man. He was part of the. He was part. Of, he got he got taken advantage of once by Johnny Davis. Johnny Davis had a a play where he came around a good pick from Wall, I think, and Jaden just didn't get over it and ended up behind him and compounded the problem by fouling him. But I believe I think Davis missed the free throw, so he didn't turn it into a three point play. But other than that, I thought Jaden did his job. And if you notice down the stretch, Michigan state was shuttling. He and Gabe Brown in defense for offense, depending mm-hmm. on the situation. And, and that's a real tribute to Jaden. Cause it's, it's not as if Gabe has been bad defensively, not at all, but the fact that they are, are looking at Jay Nakins as a guy they feel they can rely on in big moments. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a big deal. Yeah. Uh, and the keys, Rod, uh, you already mentioned this. Uh, the first one was three-point percentage. Uh, <laughs> not... Boy, I get that wrong. I, I felt, because I, I believe I 9%? said the words. Am I reading if, this right? I, I think I said the words, if Michigan State does not shoot them from three, I have a hard time seeing how they win this game. Because there's such a clear advantage. It's kind of like the way these Maryland, these two Maryland games were, where mm-hmm. you can look at it and say, well, Michigan state is just a much better three point shooting team. And they were both of those games. They're much more efficient. Um, the, the formula was similar here and yet we didn't get the result. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, but here's, here's one thing I do think about. Um, well, maybe two things, maybe give Wisconsin, some of the credit for sure for Michigan state only getting 11 attempts. Yeah. But on the other hand, Michigan state didn't force it. Yeah. You know, they made them on pay a day where down they, low on a day where they, right. Exactly. On a day where they just weren't dialed in the way they normally are, you know, it might've been a disaster if that number was 15 or 16 the turnovers, Rod, uh, seven to hey. seven. Huge, huge plus for Michigan State. Absolutely massive to, and again, anybody who is worried about a repeat of the Maryland game, that wasn't going to happen. They're two very different teams stylistically. But again, that has not been the problem for Michigan State. Mm -hmm. The problem for Michigan State has been self-inflicted mistakes, not where teams have been applying pressure. So you had to worry about it. Would there be like a six or seven turnover uh, negative margin? And there wasn't, and that had a lot to do why Michigan State won this game. Yeah, they're they're like the best uh, non-turnover team in the country. And Michigan State, everyone says, Michigan State turnovers, blah, blah, blah. Didn't um, matter. To, you know, they showed them in this To play them even, it was the best, you know, the lowest turnover number for MSU this season. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Hell of a time. When, when you are playing a team that does a great job of minimizing its mistakes, mm-hmm. man, you know, like I said, like the cliche goes, Wisconsin – doesn't beat itself typically. Mm-hmm. They make you beat them. So Michigan State did that. They Michigan State did not beat itself. Yeah. Uh, and then rebounding. How do you Pretty feel like good. that went? Bad start, um, 
but better as it went along. Second half, I thought it was pretty good. Four. So, Rod, how, how did they handle Davis? Well, I mean, again, we we didn't know we didn't know what condition he was going to be in. I, I, here's what I think. I will give them this. I don't think it was a physical issue because, again, as we said, he had 11 boards. He took 19 shots. So I don't. Think he had his only full practice since Sunday was yesterday. And then he did some work the day before, apparently, but didn't practice fully. So that can be a factor where you've gotten out of your normal routine. Okay. But again, what I saw in that game was not, oh, this is a guy just missing wide open shots. I saw a guy missing contested shots continually. He had three turnovers. Yeah, that was due to the defense Michigan State played against. So I mean, Michigan State just did an outstanding job. His primary defender generally did a great job. And then if he happened to get an advantage or get by that guy, they had great help walling up when he would try to get into the lane. Um, He's a really tough cover. And again, that makes two out of three games this year where I thought Michigan State really, really guarded him well. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then the foul line. Yeah, not you know you you worry about it because again Wisconsin they're certainly a better team than Maryland but the profile isn't that different in the sense that they don't shoot the ball tremendously well from the floor and they they didn't in this game you know if you look at the final numbers they only shot thirty six point seven percent overall twenty nine point two percent from three um, so you worry about th- that's an area one attempts. But they only hit 12. Mm. This is a team that shoots about 75% on the season. And so for them to leave nine points off the board, when normally, you know, 21, you would have expected them to hit, you know, 15 or 16. Well, that's three or four more points, and that's a different ball game. Yep. At that point. So that was big. I, I, I thought that um, I didn't feel Michigan State went crazy in terms of fouling them, but, uh, you know, 21 is maybe a little more than you would have liked to have seen them get to attempt. You know, on the other side of it, Michigan State was 18 for 24. Mm-hmm. So if you're, if you're doing that comparison, MSU got to the line a little more, and some of that was fueled by, you know, late-game situations where Wisconsin had to foul, but, you know, to be even with them in that category is acceptable. Yep. You know? Okay, well, uh, another one down, Wisconsin. Purdue's uh, up next after a tough battle <laughs> with Penn State, apparently. Yeah, uh, it's it's going to be an interesting dynamic, you know, because this may have happened. I'll, I'll bet it has happened at, at some point over the years, but you've got both Indiana schools in the semis, you know, so Iowa and Michigan State are actually going to be working against home court advantages mm-hmm. in this thing because Indiana and Purdue will have the lion's share of fans at, at, in that building. Really? Yeah, for sure, yeah. Okay. So that's that's something that, you know, I you have to see. I mean, I, I think those environments, I, my personal opinion is it matters a little less typically than a true road game at a campus facility. Yeah. It's just never quite the same thing, in, in part because 
you know, normally in a road game, if you're playing Purdue West Lafayette, Michigan State's got a handful of fans. They've got the, the parents and the people who travel with the team typically, and that's usually about it. Um, it's not quite that stark for this. Michigan State will have a percentage of that crowd. Mm. It just won't be the majority. Mm. Um, something else to think about, too. Tom Izzo has coached in all 24. This is the 24th Big Ten tournament. He has now been to the semifinals 16 times. That is by far the most. He's also won it six times, which is also by far tops. Um, he's got the most wins. I'm on active coaches. I think he's at I think he's at 33 or 34 now, and Matt Painter is in second with 12 after tonight. Mm-hmm. So pretty big gaps. But I, I think that, you know, it's funny because I'm I, as I was thinking about that, I was also reminded of the mantra for maybe the first 10 years or so of this event was Tom Izzo doesn't care about the Big Ten tournament. Well, uh. <laughs> it was 16 out of 24, in, at least in the semis, says otherwise. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, I'm also reminded of it because – I've come back to this theme over the course of the season. I've I've really grown to. It's not a massive dislike. It's it's not like the way I felt about Bo Ryan, say the first six or seven years he was at Wisconsin. But I'm, I'm, I find myself irritated with Brad Underwood a lot <laughs> with the things that he says. Yeah, the things that he says. I, I just think he takes. He's tone deaf. I think he says the wrong shit. For his program too, but there's a there's an unearned veneer of arrogance about it a little bit. I do. That's what I, that's what I detect. You know, it's like okay, you finally won a Big Ten title for the first time, or share of it for the first time since 2005. So, mm-hmm. you, I guess you can act like you've been there before because you haven't been. Yeah. But uh, but anyway, he made the comment today that uh, he's actually you know they came there to win, but. He's not really all that bummed out because they would much rather have rest before the tournament. And I just thought, man, says even if the loser. If that's always right, always says the loser. And if if even if you believe that, you say that out loud. You, yeah, your team hears it. You don't soft. think that filters <laughs> down to your team? That's just again, it's just that Illinois team. And credit to them for winning a share of the title, but. This has been my problem all year is, and I think you saw it in that loss to Indiana today. I just think they melted down. Mm. They're just not, they're just not a mentally strong team. They are in terms of how they actually play the game, offense, defense, rebounding, all that stuff together. They are the most balanced high level team in the big 10. They have much more talent than Wisconsin and they're much more balanced than Purdue. But, in terms of their mentality, and it's from the top down, I don't trust it at all. And I, I'm gonna, it'll be interesting to see what their bracket looks like, but, man, I would not be surprised if it's another first weekend exit because that, that whole program strikes me as soft as shit. And, and to hear that said, like, I don't – maybe Izzo said something like that at some point along the way, um, but I don't think so. My memory of it is he always kind of stuck at, look, we want to win. I know people used to think that they didn't care, but that track record says otherwise, right? 16 well, out of 24, a, you get to the semis. I think 
for Izzo, it's just a redirect rather than an excuse. Hey, yeah. we, hey, we lost. This is going to give us more time to practice. Not that that's uh, – uh, you're making an excuse for losing, but you just redirect. It's an, it's an, it's an outcome. Right. This, was a, this just felt totally a little different. So anyway yeah. – it had me that all that stuff had me had me thinking about this, and I, I don't think there's any question. Now we spent some time talking about this on earlier episodes that um, this thing matters to people now, and it matter it matters to the coaches, Brad Underwood notwithstanding. Mm. Um, and and I, I think that um, I think that especially tomorrow, it's going to matter a great deal in both of those games because. Again, you've got two home state schools. You know, Purdue arguably is playing to maximize their seating. I don't know what their ceiling is in regard to that. It strikes me that, you know, maybe a three is about as high as they could realistically hope to get. Um, but nevertheless, you know, when you're in that spot, you want to max it out. And Indiana obviously has finally got some momentum. You could say now after today they've definitely punched their ticket into the tournament. Mm-hmm. But they want to keep this momentum going. And both of them are playing in front of home crowds. So they're going to be motivated. On the other side of it, you know, Iowa has as much momentum as anybody in the league right now. Now, again, yeah. I'm I'm not going to be picking them to do anything next week <laughs> right. because they don't guard anybody, and that is almost always the death knell. Their day will come sooner but, or later. But I'll give them credit. They, to beat Rutgers, who will ugly it up, and who held them to 50, I believe, in their meeting in the regular season. I will put 84 on them today, won it by 10, and really controlled that game most of the second half. Um, they're playing very, very well. Mm-hmm. There, there's no – I can't take it away from them. I am a sell guy on Fran McCaffrey always, but they're, they're, they are doing it. So they obviously want to keep their momentum going. And I think that for that program – a Big Ten tournament title would be massive. Because, mm. again, they don't ever win anything. Yeah. Ever. I mean, they won a Big Ten title, a Big Ten tournament title under uh, Steve Alford once. And I remember being tremendously amused when they raised, or they might have called themselves, or they raised a banner that said Big Ten champions. Yeah. Which technically yeah. was true. But nobody in the Big Ten actually thinks that. Yeah. You know, whoever wins this thing, it isn't going to erase from people's minds that Wisconsin and Illinois tied for the title. Right. right? Yeah. But but if you're Iowa and your program has been in irrelevancy basically since the early 90s, um, hey, a chance to win anything. It's like a football program that hasn't done anything for years. And they get an opportunity, well, uh, put it in Michigan State terms, when Mark D'Antonio first got to Michigan State. Mm-hmm. You know, Michigan State did not have a habit. First of all, they didn't have a habit of regularly getting into bowl games. And then when they got there, they didn't have a habit of regularly winning them, right? Yeah. When he won his first few, that meant something. Even though they weren't premier, boy, wasn't the playoffs, wasn't the Rose Bowl, it meant something to the program. He's okay. This is a real accomplishment that that has meaning that we can hang our hats on as we continue to build. Mm-hmm. I would think Iowa looks at this thing the same way. And then Michigan State, again, it's about momentum. It's about okay, you've you've now you played a pretty good game for all but five minutes against Maryland. 
you played with max effort and toughness to beat a good Wisconsin team in the second game. Can you continue to sustain this? And I think that matters even if they don't win this thing. Mm-hmm. You know, if they play well, it's entirely possible they could play well tomorrow and lose because Purdue has a lot of talent. Yeah. Purdue has the kind of offensive ability to potentially do that to you. But, you know, right now, my feeling is they've won two games. The rest here is kind of gravy mm. for them. But, hey, if they could somehow steal another Big Ten tournament title, it would put a little bit of a different perspective on this season. A yeah. little bit. You know, nobody would be going crazy. Mm. But it would be a really nice thing for those kids, for the coaching staff, and would definitely suggest that there was some momentum heading into the big tournament. Yeah. I, I, I would also say this before we, we move on to talking about Purdue. Um one year that could be a parallel to this one yet. I've resisted it until now, but now we're kind of set up for that is 2015. Um, There were differences. The 2015 team got all the way to the title game and they played They should have beaten a great Wisconsin team. That was the Wisconsin team that got to the title game for losing to Duke. And they were they dominated the Big Ten all year. Michigan State pushed them, I believe, lost in overtime, if I remember right. Yeah, yeah. It was that group? And and Michigan State played a great game in the title game, uh, almost beat them, should have beaten them, truthfully, and uh, and it set them up. And then they went on and went on a run to the Final Four. You know, uh, the, there are differences. That team, I think, was rounding into form earlier they played pretty well down the stretch of the regular season mm-hmm. leading into the big 10 tournament in fact i believe they were in the top they finished in the top four which obviously this year's team did not um but there is potentially if you're looking if you're looking for reasons to believe which you asked me that question at the end of the regular season mm-hmm. and my response was i haven't seen it yet yeah <laughs> well if they could sustain what we saw today, I would start to change my tune on that. So that's the opportunity that's there for Michigan State. Mm. Is can you continue to build positive momentum heading into next week and hopefully beyond? Yeah. Um, that would be what it, so all four teams have a reason to care about this, mm. is my point. Uh, and so if Purdue I mean we know what Purdue is, uh great offense. Yeah. Terrible defense. <laughs> uh, yeah, and I'll, I'll just while we're while we're talking about this, let me pull up the. I assume that Ken Palm is generally pretty quick to update, mm. so I will assume they are updated numbers. Purdue has slipped. They are actually the number two offense oh. in the country. They are now behind Gonzaga. Okay, they, they, it's a virtual tie. Well, I'll, <laughs> we'll just say we'll 100- just say they're number one because Gonzaga plays yeah. nothing but scrubs. Mm, less so this year, but yeah, they're not playing the same caliber of opponent. So number two on offense, only number one Oh two defensively. So they're still outside the top 100. And, and I'll tell you, I mean, if you're looking for a reason to bet against Purdue, making a run to the elite eight final four, et cetera, that's as good a reason as any there, there are exceptions, but they are rare. Mm-hmm. That a team that is that bad defensively can can make that kind of run, yeah. you know. So 
that's that's the concern there. I mean, the other so, things I would point out real quick, um, yep, outstanding three-point shooting team, better than Michigan State slightly, 39.7% from three, number three in the country. Um, they're number 11 in the country in two-point percentage because of those big men and Jaden Ivey. Number 15 offensive rebounding team, and they get to mm. the line a ton too. They're 40th in free throw attempts uh, divided by field goal attempts. And maybe the only slight weakness is when they get there, they're not great. They're 70.5%, which is number 216 at the line. Mm. But, but look, I mean, the offensive numbers just across the board are, are great. Yeah. You know, this is, this is an offensive juggernaut. As you said, we know what Purdue is, and that is what they are. They're an offensive juggernaut. Mm. Defensively, though, a lot of weaknesses, yeah. lots of them. They don't turn you over. They give up a lot from three, both in attempts and makes. They're not great defensively against the two, number 151 nationally, so very mediocre there. Um, the the things that are positives, I guess, they don't foul very much, and they're actually a very good defensive rebounding team. They're number 28 in the country in that area. Mm-hmm. So those things they do well enough, but they don't do those things aren't enough to offset the fact that they teams can just shoot against them they can score yeah. against them and it's hard to understand why i've been saying that all year this is just not you know when i look back at matt painter's tenure let's just keep it recently so last season with the same personnel they were number 34 the year before that they were 11th is defensive efficiency the year before that 34th the year before that 31 the year before that 23 11 50 you got to go back to 2015 to find a year where they were outside the top 50 and they were 54th that year so really over the last one two three four five six seven so seven eight years this is a massive massive outlier and again it's weird because it's the same team Mm. that played last year it's the same guys yeah so hard to understand but it is why but it is a big factor and you know they're certainly capable of winning the big 10 tournament and we have seen you know if you're a purdue fan i guess the the reason for optimism is you can look at a team like 2013 michigan 2013 michigan was a very poor defensive team in the regular season but somehow in the ncaa tournament they started playing much, much better, and they ended up in the top 40 mm-hmm. because of how well they played over the six games that they played, winning five of them. You know, part of it is they were playing other good teams, so you get a you get a boost in that way. Um, and then some of it was just they improved a lot. So yeah. I think, excuse me, I think that's going to be the hope if you're a Purdue fan is that somehow the light is going to get switched on. Yeah. But I, I wouldn't be betting on it. Mm-hmm. And it's a shame because early in the year, I mean, listeners will know, I was all in on Purdue because I assumed it would be the same caliber of defense we typically see from Matt Painter teams. And they had all these guys coming back. Why should it be different? Yeah. But it's it's been a big problem basically from jump. And they've never really gotten it solved. And when you can't guard people, man, you are asking for trouble. So that's the weakness. And, you know, they've kind of sold their soul a little bit by putting Edie 
in, in these huge minutes. I mean, he's awesome on offense. Um, yeah. But our first key is threes. And when they have Edie in there, seven, six on skates, uh, <laughs> it's tough. It's tough for them to guard threes. So you got to hit them. Well, this is this is the deal. Um, I think, and again, there, there's now got to be at least a little hint of a question in Matt Painter's mind. Does Michigan State start doubling more aggressively than we're used to seeing? Mm. Maybe, right? Um, I don't think that's what we'll see. I think we will see Michigan State play the way they have typically played Purdue over recent years, which is you play them straight up inside and you live with them doing a lot of damage with those guys because you're not providing your your post players any help mm-hmm. defensively. You're not digging down very aggressively. You're certainly not sending doubles. You're just kind of letting them operate. We saw in the game in East Lansing, Zach Eady, 25 points. It's very, very good. But Purdue went one for nine as a team from three. <laughs> and the nine was at least as important as the one. But they limited the attempts. And the only way you can really hope to do that is if you play him straight up. Because if you're sending people at him, or especially at Trevion Williams, you are going to give up open threes. And then you are reduced to hoping that they have a bad day. Mm-hmm. Well, this team shoots 30, almost 40% from three on the year. I don't like my odds. Yeah. It could happen, but I don't like my odds. And you certainly run a risk if if you let a good shooting team have wide open shots, mm-hmm. then it's even worse. So I think that's what we're going to see. I think we're going to see him play it straight up. This is the way Michigan State has played Purdue, and at times it has produced very, very good results. We, we talked a lot in the aftermath of the game a couple of weeks ago about the parallels between that and the 2018 mm-hmm. game that Michigan State won, and there were a ton of them. And one of the big ones was exactly what we're talking about here. They played a giant straight up, and that giant did a lot of damage. Isaac yeah. Haas scored 25. As we said, Edie scored 25. But it allowed Michigan State to limit a great three-point, and the team in 18 was an even better three-point shooting team than this group is, if yeah. you believe it. Uh, but they held them down. And so I think that's what you've got to do. I think if you're giving up threes to Purdue, your odds of winning really get reduced. It gets tight. Uh, and then defensive rebounding. Um, yeah. Um, this is a very good offensive rebounding team. And Penn State saw that tonight. I mean, Purdue made a lot of hay in this game at times off the offensive glass. And it's already a very good shooting team. We talked about it. They're an elite three-point shooting team, and they're a pretty, pretty damn good two-point shooting team. Mm. number three and number 11 in those two categories national so they don't miss a ton anyway but then when they do miss they're getting second chances man that's a backbreaker yeah absolute backbreaker yeah. so michigan state it's going to require they did a pretty good job of it in the first game as i recall but they're going to have to really really strap it on and that's why i say what they showed tonight against Wisconsin, if they can carry that over, it's huge because that's the kind of stuff, that ability to compete, to have energy, um, and and just to get the job done on the defensive glass. 
Mm-hmm. That's critical against a team like Purdue. Yep. Uh, and then pick and roll. Getting that yeah. big boy out there. <laughs> exactly right. And it doesn't matter which. Mm-hmm. Edie or Williams, both very, very vulnerable. You go back to the game, the play that won the game, and he's slancing. They get a switch. Tyson Walker against Trevion Williams. Tyson, you know, crosses him over, you know, jab steps, get a little space, three, bang, game. Yeah. Um, that was one play. Michigan State needs to have a steady diet of that, in my opinion. Because Purdue has a, I mean, Purdue is a poor defensive team anyway. We know that, but that's a particular vulnerability that I believe is there to be exploited. Yeah, I really do. And if they're not exploiting it, I think it, again it gets harder to win. Mm-hmm. So make your threes. Stop them from making threes. Get the big boy out there. Uh, make him guard the pick and roll, rebound, and then. No surprise, Rod. Turnovers. Yeah, I mean, Purdue is... I got off this year's stat total. So they are they're only 90th in turnover percentage. So they're not one of these elite teams that we saw a lot of during the Big Ten season in terms of minimizing mistakes. The Big Ten, was it's a funny thing because most years, the stat that I see Big Ten teams tend to bunch up in at the top of the national charts is usually offensive rebounding. Mm. Not the case this year, um, even though Purdue's a good offensive rebounding team, but um, not the case across the league. But turnover limitation has been one of those areas. And Purdue is very mediocre by Big Ten standards, but there's a big gap between what Purdue does on a game-in, game-out basis and what Michigan State has done on a game-in, game-out basis. So... Mm. You don't necessarily have to have what happened today. But let's also remember, let's go back to that game in East Lansing. Um, and I'll real quick pull up the stats. Purdue had, I mean, Michigan State had a seven turnover margin. Purdue had 17. And a bunch of those, seven of them were steals. If you remember, that's, that's where Michigan State, for the first time in a long time, really got out into transition, and unusually for them, a lot of it came off live ball turnovers. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't expect a repeat of that. Purdue is a better team than that, valuing the ball, and to expect them to have another 17 turnover game, probably unlikely. Um, and it, just as it's probably unlikely that Michigan State would be plus seven in the in the turnover category. Yep. Um, but... Uh, you know, I do think that um, they have to at least keep it close because rebounding's tough. I mean, the the game in East Lansing, MSU did a nice job. They uh, they limited them to what was it? So it was eight and uh, fifteen, so twenty-three. I mean, Purdue had you know about a thirty percent offensive rebounding rate which against them means you did a pretty decent job. Mm. Can Michigan State repeat that? I don't know. I mean, that's that's a challenge against this group. Um, if they don't repeat it, well, then there's even more pressure to keep the turnovers somewhat respectable, right? Yeah, yeah. So MSU did a lot of things really, really well in that ball game in East Lansing. And even having said that, they won it by three. Mm-hmm. So... It's a tall order. I mean, I can talk about Purdue's defensive weaknesses, and they are real, 
but this is a good team. This is <laughs> this is a team that has the uh, the offensive firepower in totality, meaning the way they shoot most of the time, the way they value the ball, and certainly the way they offensive rebound. That they're just going to be hard to hold down. Mm. So you're gonna you're gonna really need to do as they did in the game at, at Breslin. They're gonna Michigan State's gonna have to do a lot of things well, but seeing what they did today gives me some hope in part because it gives me some hope that maybe Michigan state is capable of ugling this thing up, which would be another way to, to, to beat Purdue. Yep. Is if yep. you can find a way with your defense and your energy to turn it into a little bit of a slug fest. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess one more thing we should mention that I didn't have in the keys, but it will be the third game in three days. Yeah. Uh, for Michigan State, Purdue was on their second game in two days, so they have an advantage there. How much does that show up in this thing? Well, that, that remains to be seen. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, but we'll right. find out. All right, we'll hang it up there, and uh, here we go. Final four dress rehearsal, Big Ten, uh, Michigan State versus Purdue. We'll get a uh, post game up after that game. Until then, final four. Shining the brightness Always a two bayless The eyes of the arrows For the ones who pay attention to every little detail, the ones who fuss, tinker, and sweat the small stuff. Because you know the tiniest thing can make the biggest difference when it comes to keeping business moving. We get it. We're the same way. Offering access to product experts to help you quickly and easily find what you need. So whatever your industry, you know you're always getting professional-grade products. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done.